Father, we will remember where you brought us from. And Father, that we would take comfort in knowing you have set our feet on a sure foundation. Foundation that cannot be shaken regardless of what else goes on in this world. So Father, we thank you for this freedom. Thank you for freedom in Christ. In your name.
Yeah. 
Father, we thank you for that promise, Lord Jesus, that you are returning, Father. And those, Father, who are in Christ have this blessed hope, Father. And I pray, God, that we will not grow weary in doing good, but, Father, that we would keep our eyes focused and fixed upon you, Jesus. You are the author and the finisher of our faith, God. You've begun this work in us, Father. God, you were pleased to reveal yourself to us through your son, Jesus. Oh, God, may we remain humbled, Father. God, may we, Father, be diligent to seek you, knowing, God, that your word says that if we seek you, we will find you. If we seek you with our whole heart, Lord. Oh, God, we are living in the times and the day and the age in which you have purposed us to live. Father, you've prepared good works for us to do, Lord. Father, you've called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. Father, you've equipped us, Lord, to go forth in a darkened world, Father, to be image bearers of Christ. And so, Lord, I pray, God, that we will not neglect, Father, God, the calling in which you've given us, Lord. Father, I'm reminded this week, Lord, as I've been praying, Father, for the church in the earth, God, that, Father, when you said to us, Lord, that if we put our hands to the plow and look back, we're not even fit for your kingdom. Father, I'm reminded when you say, oh God, to consider the cost. God, we must get over ourselves, Lord. And we must keep, Father, and covenant with you, Lord. Remaining loyal to you, Father. Oh God, that you, Father, would stir up within us, God. That you would give us a, a greater hunger and a thirst for righteousness, Father, for your name's sake. God, we thank you for your promise that you would never leave us nor forsake us. God, we are not abandoned orphans. But God, that we have been, Father, adopted, chosen, and grafted into your kingdom, Father. Lord, that you have given us your Holy Spirit, God, in us, empowering us, Father, to accomplish what you've called us to. So, Father, may our lives continue, Lord, to bring glory and honor to your kingdom. And, Father, we thank you for the opportunity yet again to gather together as a fellowship, as community, Lord, to seek you together, Lord, that we may accomplish, Father, your purpose within our city, Father, within our nation, and then in the nations, Lord. So give us a greater vision, Father, and um, Lord, may our lives, Father, be pleasing unto you. Bless our time together, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Community, two definitions I've been holding up. The first one, a group of people living in the same place are having a particular characteristic in common. The second one, a feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. And I've been encouraging us over the past couple of weeks that it's Christ. He's the center of the Christian community. Apart from Christ, we have nothing. We know that there's so many different other communities in the earth. But these other communities do not have truth. They have temporal desires. They have temporal longings. They have temporal idols. They have temporal um, identities that in the end leave them 
empty. But in the Christian community, we have the truth because Christ is the center of our community and it's the truth that sets us free. So our community is based off Christ and then in Christ we are free people to go out and be about His business. The Christian, again, community, the church in and of herself, she's not purposed for herself, she's purposed for Christ. So Christ must be our foundation. And so I've been thinking and praying throughout this week on this one little small word that we say a lot, but do we really understand what it means? And this word, amen. Amen. You see, the Christian community can come together and we can say amen. 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 But do we even really understand what that means? It means so be it. It means when, I, when I'm thinking of that, when I realize that that's the definition of amen, so be it. It's that saying it is firmly established. Nothing, nothing can un- unearth it. And when we say as the Christian community, amen, we're saying amen to what's been established, firmly established, so be it, Lord, because you said it. Because he's a God of covenant. He's a God that does not change his mind. He's not man that he should lie. So when we come into an agreement, when we say amen, it ought not just to be loosely used. Do you truly understand when you say amen what is firmly established? The hope in which you have that you can live in the most darkest times on this earth. And they're going to continue to get darker. (laughs) But we have the hope in Christ to be able to to stand and say, Amen. So be it. It's firmly established. I'm not moved. (laughs) Let everything around me shake. Let everything around me shake. And that everything around me seemed to be in utter chaos. But my soul isn't moved. My soul isn't shaken. My soul isn't in chaos. In chaos. Because I know my identity. It is in Christ. And that's where I pray and I hope that we understand as a Christian community, this is our hope. As I've shared different testimonies during this week on our Facebook page of of, of our persecuted brothers and sisters, I'm so encouraged that they're not turning from Christ so easily. You know, when I think when Paul writes the letters to the churches, he's like, what's turned you away so easily? Who, Who has bewitched you? Their amen wasn't their amen. And there's a lot of stuff that we in the Christian community that we do that it's really not who we are. And that's where we have to awaken to the fact that, no, we are people who have been delivered out of darkness into light. That it's all for Him. And as we're seeking Him individually and then corporately, we're seeking to see His will be done. His will that is what? Firmly established. Jesus is returning you all. And this is the good news. This is the good news. 
And I keep encouraging us that the devil cannot continue to teach us about God. And as we saw last week, and as we kind of talked about, Jesus himself was dealing with the religious men of his time, the men who was leading God's people. And Jesus called them out for who they were. You are the sons of the devil. The sons of the devil were leading God's people. I let that reality set in. That we know from the beginning, the enemy has tried to slither his way in to destroy God's creation. But he can't. Because God's will, God's throne, God's ways and his purpose are firmly established. So be it. Amen. But we know that we're living in a fallen world. But none of this is taking God by surprise, so we have got to stop being taken by surprise and questioning what's next. We already know what's next. He's coming. And so as the days are progressing to His return, they're going to grow more and more and more evil, and as those days are progressing, the church is going to be pushed out more and more immoral from the world system, and it's okay. But while they are pushing us, we're testifying of His greatness, and of His goodness, and of His mercy. His mercy. You know, we're seeing a lot of different things. Well, I don't know if you're seeing but I'm seeing a lot of different things. People questioning God. This or that. This bad act has happened. Or this violence has happened. Or this, this, this and that. And everyone's wondering, where's God? Where's God? And I keep telling you, when the enemy teaches you about God, he makes you question God. God doesn't cause all of this. <laughs> We cause it. God is at, not at war with His creation. His creation is at war with Him. God's not the one stiff-arming us. No, the creation is stiff-arming God. And so people have the wrong perception of who God is. And there's a lot of people sitting in churches today who have the wrong perception of who God is the one in whom they say they've gathered to worship. But when you have the right understanding, the right perception of who He is, how great He is, how loving He is, how merciful He is, like He has done everything to reveal Himself to mankind. There's no error found in God. And so we as the church are to go forth, us as the Christian community, we're to go forth in a world that is in rebellion towards Him, and we're not to be clinging to the temporal things. No, we're to be clinging to Christ as He is clinging to us. He has us firmly gripped in His care, in His hands. 
His love for us endures forever. There's nothing, again, there's no error found in God. Everything that He has spoken, everything that He has purposed is coming to pass. And for eternity, the church will be with her husband, with her Redeemer. But until then, we're to be preparing for Him. Are you preparing for Him? So the next time when we say amen, let that be, I want you to think upon what you're saying amen to. Because you're saying so be it. It's firmly established. I will not be moved. I will not be shaken. Because we hear a lot of promises from the Word of God. And we do a lot of things just because that's just what we do. But if it's not truly who we are, then those words are meaningless. And then we find ourselves just religious. And I keep saying to myself and to you all, like, Jesus didn't endure all that he endured just to build an institution, just to build a form of religion that denies him. God didn't purpose from the beginning before he spoke. He purposed the cross. He didn't do all that, and then he spoke, and and the world was formed, man was created. He didn't plan all of that just for an institution to be birthed in a temporal sense upon this earth. That's being led by the enemy. (laughs) But praise be to God that God knew what was ahead. God already understands our condition. God sent forth his Son, the Messiah, he's fulfilled all the prophetic prophecies of the Messiah, Jesus. And he is victorious now. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And then we as the church now carry on what he has already began. Because God's love for his creation. Are you loving people, you all? Are you out there serving and loving others? Remember, your Christian life now is not for you. It's for them. You're to think of others before you think of yourself. You're to get to a place like as Christ came, He humbled Himself. He is, was the least of the least. He was the greatest servant of all. He's the one who's called us to go and to go. And in that, have confidence in when we say amen. Amen. Your word is true. Your promises are true. No matter how dark it gets, God, your truth is what sets people free. It's your truth, God. There's no lies or deception or deceit or anything in Christ. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Apart from me, what do we have? Nothing. But in him we have it all. So the Christian community, we can have confidence in our our God through Christ. 
And yet, look how the enemy is attacking the Christian community. The enemy knows that if he can disperse us, if he knows if he can keep us apart, if he knows if he can isolate us, he's done his job. Because there's power in unity. There's power when when people come together in unity. And where's the church today? Where's the church today? She's moaning, she's groaning, she's overwhelmed. She ought not to be. She ought not to be. She should be committed to Christ. And again, when, when I, as I thought through this week and been praying through this week, when Jesus himself says, if you put your hand to the plow and you look back, you're not fit for my kingdom because your eyes are still back there. Your heart is still longing for what's back here. And there's nothing to long for back here. There's hurt, there's pains, there's insecurities, there's this, there's that. Everything that used to define us, what is there to look back at? When Christ is our all in all, it is for His kingdom. It's for His kingdom. By His power for His glory. And so we ought to come together. And that's why when I think, when, the, when, when we're told in the Bible that the gates of hell cannot prevail. They can't. And so the church should be gathering. The church should be together. The church should be going through life together. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And we should keep pressing in and pressing on. Taking ground. Maturing and growing, because again, we're not a perfect people, but we are maturing people. And He's gifted each of us, and again, I can't keep stressing it enough. He's gifted each of us, and each of our gifts need to be fully functioning within the community in order for us to accomplish what Christ has called us to. And so it's vital. It's vital. That we're keeping our eyes on Jesus, that we're loving him with our whole being, that we understand when we are in agreement with him, amen, and that that defines our us, our thoughts, our attitudes. Everything that we do, it's who we are. And so when people are questioning, I mean, good God, there's so much going on out there, I can't can't keep saying it enough. Everyone is open to spiritual conversations. You should be having them. You should be encouraging others. You should be sharing with others. You should, be, you should initiate conversations with people. And you should be able to share them. Share with them the love of Christ and the hope of Christ. And that there's no error in God. Look at ourselves, the created who are, is at war with God. We have removed God. But it's nothing new. It's been from the beginning. And there's a lot of people. There's a lot of people who are wounded by the church. And in reality, it wasn't the church that wounded her. 
It's the religious people in the church. The church is the image bearer of Christ. And the enemy will love nothing more than to destroy his image. And the people who were wounded by the church, they're still allowing man to wound them. God is not pleased for what has happened to them, but God is not at fault for it. And so there's so much that we can share and there's so much that we should be doing day in and day out. You know, we first have to have the right image and the right perception of who he is so that we can go forth and encourage others to know him. Because God is pleased to reveal himself to us through his son Jesus. There's again, no greater love than this, than what has been displayed through Christ. And again, it's a spiritual war. It's not a temporal conversation. It's not a made-up story just for us to feel good. No, this is a spiritual war that is taking place. So we should be prayed up. We should be suited up. And we should be going and moving and advancing ground and taking ground and maintaining ground. We understand it's a a whole new way of living because we are dead to ourselves. We have been reborn and rebirth of the spirit. And so our thoughts and everything about us are beginning to change because we're pursuing now our father, the author and the giver of life. And so we don't have time to overhear anymore. There's nothing, there's nothing there. We're just feeding off dead stuff, temporal stuff. But when we're talking about the spirit realm, when we're understanding the, 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 the need for Christians to grow and to mature and to be in unity and be together, you know, if I keep encouraging us, it's horrible that the occult knows more of the spirit realm than Christians. And so, again, it's a, he's doing a new thing, as that song was saying. And as I've been saying over the past year or so, the way we've done church, it can't be done that way any longer. That window is closed. <laughs> he's doing a new thing. He's preparing us and getting us ready for what's about to come on this earth. As the days are continuing to grow evil, the church is to be getting brighter and brighter and brighter. <laughs> But we can't grow brighter if we're still yoked and chained for what's back here. No, it's time to get serious and to say no more. No more. It's time to press in and cry out to God. God, give us a greater hunger and a thirst. It's time to stand up and say, not on my watch. It's time to say, no, I will not be shackled. I will not be chained to what's behind me when you've come and liberated me. Like you are sending me forth to tell the other captives that there is a way. There is truth. And there is life. And his name is Jesus. And you have the wrong image of him. You've been told a lie about him. This is who he is. He's alive. And he's returning. And he's been very merciful. 
But there's a day of wrath a-coming. Because the created is at war with its creator. But you no longer have to be at war with your creator. You can be reconciled to him through Jesus. Romans 5.1 Now therefore you are at peace with God through Jesus Christ your Lord. You see, we need to get out there and get over ourselves, stop making it about us, and it's all about Him. Because when you truly see Him for who He is, you humble yourself before Him. Now then, how shall I live, Lord? I've, been, I've received the Holy Spirit. I've been empowered to go forth. And we're to be walking in step with the Spirit so that we're not gratifying the desires of the flesh. But we cannot walk in step with the Spirit if we're grieving Him, chained up back over here from what He's already loosed us from. We have got to begin to take the weapons of our warfare and begin to demolish these strongholds that have been established. And don't blame your mama, your daddy, or this person or that person. No, no, you take responsibility for the choices you've made and the thought process that you've allowed to continue, knowing good and well it's contrary to truth. And yet you hear truth and you say, Amen! And that Amen is meaningless because you are not in agreement with it, to say, so be it. It's done. It's finished. It's established. When the enemy comes in like the flood, the Bible says that God raises up a standard against him. It's holiness. It's righteousness. There's a standard raised up. And the Bible says, don't give the enemy a foothold or, or, or he'll develop a stronghold. And that's what we've done. We've given him too many footholds. Because we're not firmly believing in what our God has said. We can remain a victim if we want to remain a victim. But why would we? Why would we? He's given us all that we need. And he's so loving but also, he's a God of justice. He's a God of, of wrath. He's a God that has remained silent. <laughs> but he also knows the day in which he has set aside that he's going to unleash it all and put an end to all of this. And oh, how I pray that we will be caught up with them and that our faith is a genuine faith that honors him and that we are counted among those who would hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter in into my rest. Enter in into my rest. And that we would not hear, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. I never knew you. You see, I want you to go forth from this place today. And I want you to ponder and meditate upon this over this week. Are you in Christ? Have you truly accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you truly came to a place of true repentance? 
Have you truly humbled yourself under His Lordship? Have you given Him full rights to your life? I mean, this is the reality. And if you find yourself thinking, no, I've just been holding a form of religion, like, oh God, then take the time to allow the Holy Spirit to bring you to a place of true repentance. A genuine, sorrowful repentance. Not the weird, beat yourself up, oh, I'm a horrible Christian. No, it's, if we kind of stop making it about us, the reality is, oh God, I don't want to be at war with you any longer. And even the things that we, dis- that we claim to be little sins, no, that's still rebellion. That's still rebellion. And we got to be mindful of that. Because again, we're in a war. And the enemy will love nothing more than to cobble you. And to keep you down. And that's sin. That, that's, that's destructive behavior that we have got to repent of and say, oh God, no. And so if he's truly our God, if he's truly our Lord, and that's what I said, I believe, last week, as Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? What are we going to do, stand there and give him all these excuses? Like, no. Like, he's God, you all. I want you to go to Acts chapter 2. The scriptures I just want to share with us to encourage us persevering and, and really growing in community. And what does community look like? And how are you contributing to community? There's a lot of freeloaders in the community today. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. There's a lot of people going, quote unquote, to church. And they're just taking from the church and there's no contributing to the church. And how sad that this is what the church is cultivating and birthing. When again, I keep telling you, it takes all of us to accomplish what God has called us to do. We need each other. Iron sharpening iron. Allowing our gifts to be manifested so that God can get the glory that the Holy Spirit is working in and through us. So these scriptures, I pray that you would go back, and these, these aren't foreign to you. We've heard them multiple times. But let's hear them again. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while... Praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those 
who were being saved. The believers form a community. Because we no longer are out there trying to find our identities in all these different other communities that are around us. No, when you come to Christ, you know who Christ is, you know who you are now in Him. And so now you're learning and you're growing and you desire to be among Christ and His followers. And these people, from the beginning, since the church was birthed, this is how they lived. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Just wasn't the apostles' teaching. There's a lot of solo Christians out there. And they're so low, so low, so low. They're wound up, bound by depression, lust, filth, whatever. They're doing it on their own. And that's not the Christian life. We're called to be in fellowship. And they shared meals together. And they prayed together. Again, the power and unity to come into an agreement. There's something powerful when one person says amen, but you get multiple people say amen, and it's just not an empty word. But they understand what it means. Amen. So be it. It's firmly established. I will not, we will not be moved. We begin to take ground in our workplaces, in the grocery stores, on the roads, in our families. I just don't understand why we're just allowing everything and anything to define us and run us. When we've got to say no. No to those thoughts. No to those, to those words. No to those, those heart attitudes. No more. Because we know what it is. We know our old nature. We know what sin is. We've got to stop lying. We've got to stop manipulating. We've got to stop doing all of that. that. All that is is a form of rebellion, which is witchcraft. No, we've got to start being Christians. Living like Christians. Trusting in Jesus. Loving Jesus. Honoring Jesus. It can't just be all talk and no roots. Where is your, what, what's your roots growing into? Christ or the flesh? What's being produced in your life? Do you know why the Lord was adding to their numbers? Because people saw something different. Like, what do those people have? I was saying to Carrie yesterday, but I've shared it with us before when I've spoken on, on the book of Corinthians. The Corinth church, where God placed that church, was a filthy place. These people, when they would have to walk to the market or going down the streets, temples were built to these pagan gods and people would be having just orgies on the steps. 
There was so much filth going on. But God in His mercy sent Paul in there and a church was birthed. And they understood what community was. They had to get to a place where they realized, no, no, we're not looking at all of that. We're not enticed to buy that anymore because pagan prostitutes, temple prostitutes were becoming Christians. These people were coming to Christ. And in coming to Christ, they were born again. And God didn't take them out from that environment. No, but they've shown bright in that environment. And people say, what is different about you? But again, let your amen be amen. Like amen, so be it. It's firmly established. It's not a loose word you say. Like if you're in covenant with God, then you understand the power of that one little word. You're having a bad day. You're, having, you're being overwhelmed by temptation. Life is just throwing everything and anything at you. Well, then get the word of God out. Begin to re- re- read his promises. And say amen. And believe it. It's not just like, you know, we're not doing it like the occult does it. But the reality is, no, this is truth. Amen. Begin to push back. Begin to slam those doors shut on the enemy. Begin to take the weapons of your warfare and demolish those thoughts, those patterns of thinking that are contrary to God's truth and begin to live as Christians together. Not lacking in fellowship. Again, you can't be a solo Christian. Are you going to find yourself so low? There'll be no, no depth to you. It'll all just be words. Empty words. Empty promises. See, your character, like this, y'all, you're representing Christ. Like, understand that. And that's why he says, you put, the, you put your hand to the plow, you're not fit for my kingdom. You're making a mockery of me? And just because I'm silent, you think you're going to get away with it? Like, you are my representative. You are my ambassador. You are my chosen instrument. And you think that I'm okay with you treating me so, like, nonchalant? That my blood is just common? Oh, no, we better get to know our God. And we better be firmly rooted and established. And it didn't say some believers. It didn't say, oh, just a few of them. No, it says all the believers devoted themselves to the teachings, to fellowship, to sharing meals, and to prayer. How about that? Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 16. 
Yeah, I was about to look at that. One through six. Yeah. Thank you. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Therefore, Paul says, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble. That's not a suggestion, you all. This is how you're to be living. And gentle. Be patient with each other's faults because your love of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves, look at this, united in spirit. Binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. Oh, do we know our God? Do we understand the importance of community? Do we understand the importance of fellowship? We, it just can't be nonchalant. Like, do we understand? And there's so, many, there's so much self-centeredness in the church community. And that ought not to be. That ought not to be. And the reason why people are so self-centered in the community is because they really don't understand the gift that they've been given. And they're to be a part of that community. But a lot of people stand on the outside and they say, oh, let them do that, let them do that, let them serve, let them teach, let them this, let them that. We'll just come and go as we please. But that's not the Christian faith. Make every effort... Make every effort. Keep yourselves united in the Spirit, for there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope. Make every effort. Every effort. And you need to ask yourself, what keeps me from fellowship? What keeps me from community? And you say, well, we all have different, we all have lives, we have other responsibilities. We have this, we have that, we have this, and we have that. Oh, we can't be there every time. And I say, wow. So when it's convenient to you, when it's convenient, God, I'll be part of the community. And then what then do we really have? Yes, are there times that things come up that keep us? Yes. But that ought not to be the defining occurrence all the time. Because you're needed among the community. Like Christ called you out. He's brought you in. We're to, we're, we are to be collectively seeking. I think of prayer all the time. And I say, God, it's always fascinated me that your people don't hunger to pray together. It's very fascinating. You can open up the church for prayer and maybe one or two people, if you're lucky, will come. 
And sometimes I've asked people, well, why don't you pray? Why don't you come to prayer? Why aren't you joining in to prayer? And every reason that I hear is self-centered. Oh, I really don't know how to pray. Well, I don't want to feel like I'm... And do you see that the enemy's keeping you from maturing and growing because you're just looking at you? Well, everyone else seems to have this, you know, gift and, oh, you know, I come in, I'm just going to stamp all over my words and da-da-da, and then what are they going to think of me? And then, oh, God, what are we doing? I mean, it goes with every other part of our Christian discipline life. We could talk about tithing. Why aren't we tithing? Why aren't we giving? And we can, you, you can ask, I can go and I can ask people, and I'll hear this, 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 and that. Why aren't you fasting? Why don't you have a discipline, a devotional time? Why, why aren't you in fellowship? And everyone's quick to give you an answer. But the, those answers are self-centered. The Christian life is, is them. Well, if it's convenient for me, I will. And you don't see that anywhere. I mean, we just read. If there was a need, the, the community was selling stuff. They were making sure there was no need among them. Oh, we got to wake up. We got to wake up. Again, the enemy has done a great job teaching us a false gospel and a false Christ. But when you know him, when this word, his word is alive and it is your identity because it is Christ and now you're in Christ. If you're truly in Christ, there is transformation coming from your life because you can't remain the same. And it's not about beating yourself up. Oh, I'm a bad Christian because I can't do that. Oh, now he's talking about how this and this and that. Oh, I'm not going to go now. And all of a sudden, we, we get caught up in all this brouhaha that keeps us from experiencing the fullness. Do you realize how God wants to use you in this generation? Do you understand the urgency of the hour that he wants to deliver you to send you to be his ambassador. And where have you been this week? Think about that. How did others see you respond or react? Well, we just can't be Christians all the time. What kind of craziness is that? Well, I can't live a perfect life. Who's asking you to live a perfect life? See, you have to start getting real. You really do. You have to start understanding what you're listening to, who you're listening to, the lies you're believing, and to begin to expose it. The Bible says to expose the fruitless deeds of the darkness, not sit and yoke yourselves up with them. Like, It's getting crazier out there, you all. If we can't remain lukewarm. We can't just remain this, oh. No, we have to go forth and live this life. Go to Romans 12. 
Romans 12, verse 1 through 21. Hear the word of the Lord. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And if you are not allowing God to transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, hear this. You're not a Christian. You're still in rebellion towards Him. And it doesn't matter how saved and sanctified you think you are. If you are purposefully, willingly choosing every single day to continue to live for yourself, you are in rebellion to a holy God who has done nothing but loved you has done nothing but revealed himself to you. See, again, those self those selfish motives, those things that lurk within us that we think we have a right to own, that's sin, you all. And you don't have to give it any ground. You ought not to give it any ground. Well, you don't know this and you don't know that. It doesn't matter. You know truth. And you're rejecting it. You can, again, we can tell all of our sad stories. But come on. It's his story that changes your life. That's how he transforms us. He rebirths us. It's a whole new beginning. It's a way in which you're living now. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. (laughs) Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourself by the faith God has given you. And just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we belong to each other. In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If if your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Oh God, can we just hear that today? Rejoice in our confident hope. 
Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray for what pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing so, you will reap burning coals of shame on their heads. And don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. How was your week, you all? See, you've got to have an honest assessment of how you're living this Christian life. If you're, if you're not a Christian, then whatever. People have a right to live however they want. People have a right. They have a right to enjoy the temporalness of life. They have a right. No one should be oppressed or, or, or stripped down or held back from anything. No, they have every right to live however they want. But Christians, there's only one way for you to live. And that's like Christ. That's the standard. And why on earth we've allowed the enemy to creep in and say, well, you're only human. You're only human. You're just a sinner. Do you realize that that goes against the very nature of who you are now in Christ? Because you're born again of the Spirit. Does that mean that you won't sin? No. But you shouldn't be easily sinning. That's God's standard. But what do I do then when I sin? Repent. Get up. Move on. Why is it going to define you? It's not who you are anymore. And if I'm only telling myself, I'm just a sinner, I'm just a sinner, I'm just a sinner, then what am I going to do? Sin. But when I wake up each day and I realize, no, wait a minute. I'm a chosen instrument. I'm a righteous tool for God to use. He's equipped me to live in this generation. He's given me discernment and wisdom. He speaks. He awakens us to truth. And so my, my life is not just an idle life that's just existing, just going through the motions. No, there's a purpose that you clothe yourself with Christ each day. And you say, okay, God, not my will, but your will. Not my past, but your future. Yes. And the present reality, God, and you have called me for such a time as this to make a difference in the lives of others. To stop looking at myself and craving everything for me and demanding my rights. 
No, I freely lay it down. Because he doesn't force us. But God, I freely lay it down. I lay down my past and my pain. I lay down all the abuse and the neglect. I lay down the longing to, to, to have this and to have that. I freely lay it down. I'm a, I'm a child of God. I, I'm a royal priest. I've been adopted. You see, are you talking to yourself? Do you know who he is and who you are? Because I'm telling you all, it's ramping up. It's ramping up. And everyone thinks everyone's going to heaven. I mean, this is the most craziest thing. Everyone thinks everyone else is a Christian. And it's the biggest lie. It's the biggest delusion. And we want to believe that because we want that for them. Like, oh yeah. And they're the most God-forsaken people. And you said, well, they're not that bad. By whose standards? By whose standards? You know, I've heard parents say over and over, you know, their, their children are saved, their children are saved, and their children are saved. And then we meet the children, you're like, by whose standards are they saved? I mean, that's the reality. And the same goes with individuals. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. And then you look at their lives and you go, by whose standard are you a Christian? Because your life is in complete mockery of His holiness. And you're making people twice as much the son of hell or daughter of hell as you are. Because you don't, you're not allowing truth to define you. Christ is not your Lord. You have not been born again. There, you have no sorrow for your sin. And the only time you have sorrow is when you get caught. But come on, you all. Listen to what he's saying here. Now, I used to have employees that did phenomenal ministries outside of work. But go preach to thousands of people and crusades. And come back to work and be the most laziest, the most backbiting, gossiping. Finally, I had to look at them and say, I don't want to hear any more about your works until I can see it in your character. I mean, that's sad. A lot of people doing a lot of stuff in the name of Christ. And Christ has done nothing inside of them. And in the end, they're going to hear, depart from me, I don't know you. See, if it's not your character, if it's not who you are when you're alone, if it's not who you are, then don't be fooled. Listen, we got to wake up. Did you hear what was just read? 
Do you meditate upon the Word of God? Is this defining your life? Do you have a hunger and a thirst to do the will of God? God has spoken to us. <laughs> and I've been thinking about this this week, and Yvette and I were talking yesterday about this. God speaks, we can clearly say what God is saying. But then there's no action. There's no obedience. And that ought not to be. And we're all guilty of it. Oh yeah, brother, sister, oh yeah, praise God. But God's speaking, da da da. And we're just talking and sharing, da 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 da. And then, and then you look about a week or two later, and nothing. It's there's no movement. But we can be so sure and say God has said. Well, if God has said, why aren't you trembling that you haven't done? Oh, if God has said, if God has spoken. So be it. It's firmly established. Amen. I'm in complete agreement with it, Lord. But that doesn't mean you stand. That means you do. You do. You do as he says. Well, that's hard. I I started to, but I just, oh. But what's hard? Letting go? Of course it is. Death is never easy. But you got to die to yourself daily. Because the flesh and the spirit, they war against each other every day. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. You stand up and say no more. And I'm not saying it's easy. The Christian life is not an easy life because we are behind enemy lines. Everything is being bombarded at us 24-7. They're out to destroy your soul. But when you're in Christ and you know that you know that you know who he is and who you are in him, you can't touch my soul. You can come at me every which way but loose. But one thing you can't have is the depths of who I really am because I'm in Christ. Yes, yes and Amen. <laughs> It's never easy. And I'm not sharing you with something that, oh, look, it sounds good. No, I understood it. And I understand it every single day. But trust me, you all. There is a way in which we are to live as a living sacrifice. And not making it this, oh, treacherous, weird life. No, like, no, like I'm enduring for the cause of Christ. And so I'm victorious. I'm not... Oh, I'm just, no, that's not the Christian life. Put your shoulders back, put your head up, and walk upright amongst a crooked and wicked and perverse generation. Get out there and live. Well, I don't know much. Well, keep, but live what you know. And keep growing. Keep growing. You, you, you can never grow and mature unless you're applying. You have all the knowledge in the world, but without applying it, you have no wisdom. And we're going to hear about this soon. Go to Philippians chapter 2.
verse 3 to 16. Are you? Yeah. yeah. 3 to 16. Philippians 2. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Are you hearing that? What do you do with that when you hear it? Like when you get up from here and you go out and you say, well, today I heard I'm not to be selfish. I'm to think of others before I think of myself. I'm to have the same attitude as Jesus had. Like, see, just can't be hearing. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Dear friends, as you always followed my instruction when I was with you, and now that I'm away, it's even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with, look at, look at this, deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. So stop rebelling against Him, you all. He's working in you Submit to him. Do everything. Go God without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God. Shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then... Yeah. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. Hold firmly to the word of life, you all. This is the Christian life. This is community. This is why we gather to be encouraged so that we can go forth and share with others. To give them an opportunity to come be a part of the community. Like it's time that we wake up to the reality of who Christ is and who we are and that we're allowing his word to transform us. This is the living word of God. And like I said earlier in the beginning, the little word that I've been focused on, amen. We can't just say it loosely. Do we understand what we're coming to an agreement with when we say amen? So be it. It's firmly established. I will not be shaken or moved because this is the core of the belief in which I have. And it will transform your life because you're born again of the Spirit. He's called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Heidelberg Catechism. 
I left off one part of the Lord's Day 14 last week, so I'm going to put that in this week. It's question number 36. Again, this is a tool that I, I've presented to us to help you grow in your faith. Again, you ought not to be offended by the Word of God. You ought to be able to defend it. There's a lot of Christians who's offended when the preacher preaches the truth of God's Word. They ought not to be offended. They should be able to receive it, mature in it, and then be able to get out there and to defend the faith. Question. How does the holy conception and birth of Christ benefit you? He is our mediator. And in in God's sight, He covers with His innocence and perfect holiness my sinfulness in which I was conceived. Lord's Day 15, question 37. What do you understand by the word suffered? That during his whole life on earth, but especially at the end, Christ sustained in body and soul the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race. This he did in order that by his suffering as the only atoning sacrifice, he might, be, uh, he might deliver us body and soul, from eternal condemnation, and gain for us God's grace, righteousness, and eternal life. Question 38. Why did he suffer under Pontius Pilate as a judge? The answer. So that he, though innocent, might be condemned by an earthly judge and so free us from the severe judgment of God that was to fall upon us. Last question. Day 15. Question 39, is it significant that he was crucified instead of dying some other way? Yes. By this, I am convinced that he shouldered the curse which, was, which, which, which lay on me since death by crucifixion was cursed by God. Questions that you can ponder and think through. <laughs> know the answer to be able to share these with others. That's why I keep telling you, you should be preaching the gospel to yourself. You should be growing. You should be allowing your roots to grow down deep into Christ. You ought not to remain at the elementary foundations of Christian faith. No, you ought to know that you know that you know. It ought to be defining you. You ought to be encouraged. When everything in this world is discouraging... (laughs) You ought to be encouraged. You ought to know your God. You should be able to go forth knowing good and well that there's going to be resistance. Not everyone is going to want to know. And that there shouldn't hinder you. You just recognize it. The created is at war with its creator. Again, God is not at war with his creation. God loves his creation. He longs for them to come to Him, but they won't. Some will, praise be to God, but the majority of the people aren't. And so to some, you're going to be a fragrance of life. To others, you're going to be the stench of death. But don't make it about yourself. It's all about Christ. Ultimately, He is our example. You want to know, talking about dying to things, he came, he took upon human flesh, and he suffered for us. 
He laid it all down for you. For you to be reconciled back to God. So that you can be at peace with your creator. And that's why you can't just be stuck here in the temporal ways of life looking out here. When you ought to be looking up. See, life, you all, is a precious gift. And we ought to be enjoying life. Because Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life and abundance to the full. It's the enemy that comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I've come to give you life. Like, live this life, you all. Not from a worldly standpoint, not from a temporal standpoint, not from out of your rebellious nature. But fullness in Christ. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, with all of your strength. You say, but I don't know how. Then learn of Him. Because when you know Him, oh, you'll know how. Because you, you won't go a day without being in His presence. You won't miss the opportunity to have Christian fellowship. You're, long, you're longing for what's coming and who's coming. Like we're just passing through. We're just foreigners. But while we're here, we're not taking up residence. No, we're being about our Father's business. We're going forth each day, declaring the gospel, sharing it with others, loving others, serving others. Being Christ-like. And again, you can't just sit in church and say, well, that's for a few. (laughs) No, no, it's for you. It's for each of us. It's for each of us. I would love nothing more than to see our fellowship thrive with new people. Adding numbers, him adding numbers to our fellowship, those who are being saved. I would love nothing more than to see each of you active in utilizing your gift and desiring to be used of God and to know truly what that means and truly how now, how then shall I live so that your life is bearing fruit. Like your life should be impacting others. Their lives should not be impacting you, drawing you away from who you say you belong to. Listen, you've got to take a stand, and sometimes it's a stand that you may be lonely. <laughs> you may not, people may not understand you, <laughs> but it's okay. Because they didn't understand him. But it's so worth it, you all. It's so worth it. I mean, again, we have our brothers and sisters overseas who are enduring the most God, I mean, persecution like wow we're living in a society over here where everything is just all up in arms it's the most you you can't again i keep saying you can't make up what's happening out there and yet we're being bombarded we're being bombarded with lies and the other nations know how to bring down america Break down the family, break down the church. <laughs> and we don't have a nation. Because where there's no truth ruling and reigning, we just go along with anything and everything. We try to, we try to be defined by anything that will rule us. <laughs> so come on, you all. Let's be Christians. <laughs> 
Let's get up from where we've been and let's say, God, we're pressing in. That's, that's hunger for him. Like sometimes you're just going to have to give up things. You're going to have to just break away from things. You're just going to have to say, no, I, I'm, I'm settled here. This is where I'm, I'm focusing on. I'm focusing on Christ. He is my all in all. I, it can't just be words. Because in the end, your words are meaningless. If there's no obedience. Go to 1 Kings chapter 11. What an example we're going to see today. <laughs> and it's interesting that we find ourselves looking at King Solomon, David's son, who got appointed to the throne, knowing all along, all along who Solomon was. Solomon just, don't let's not forget, we just learned that he built this temple. He prays this elaborate prayer. God reveals himself to Solomon twice. God tells Solomon, remain in me, respect my commands, but yet we've seen all through the areas of Solomon's life that his character wasn't intact. Yet though he was the wisest man on the earth. <laughs> and yet, complete rebellion against God. You know, I send these scriptures out before our Sunday, so hopefully you're reading them. Hopefully you're studying them. I hope you're saying, God, speak to me. And as I was studying these, I said, wow, it's interesting, God. Because Solomon, in essence, is a wicked man. Because he was unrepentant. Oh, he talked a good talk. He built the big temple. He heard, he heard from God, and yet he did not do what God commanded. He had the image of loving God, but that same love that he loved God with, he loved his wives with. It wasn't a loyal love. I said, but God, David was a sinner. David did things he ought not to have done, God. But yet, God, you still say of him that David was a man after your own heart. What's the difference then, God? Did you recognize what the difference is? Did you do studying? Did you read this week? Did you take it a little further, read commentaries? Every Bible has little notes we can go back and study. So you've got to get deeper. You can't stay shallow. You've got to get deeper. What's the difference? David was repentant. When David's sin was exposed to him, oh God, oh God, he repented. (laughs) 
Solomon never repented. Solomon just went through the motions. Heard from God. But did not obey God. Sacrificed unto God. Worshipped as he was instructed. But it was meaningless. It meant nothing. Because today we're going to see that he now begins to have all these wives that he loves. And he begins to build these temples to their gods. Solomon, how do you go from worshiping the true and living God to where the other nations, kings, remember the queen of Sheba, they all visited you and they were astounded by what God, the God of Israel, your God has done for you and your nation. They gave God the credit. But Solomon, you didn't give God the credit. Because how do you go from here to building all of these temples to these foreign gods and one of them, the way you worship him, this God, Molech, Sacrificing babies. How do you go from here, Solomon, to here? As it is with today. And it has always been. People who just hold a form of religion. Up here, they can talk a good talk. But they're over here. Doing things that they all not to be doing. And yet very comfortable. I'm a Christian. Do you realize like when you raise up truth today in the church, don't forget, forget the world. But in this religious institution that I guess people believe this is why Jesus came, just to have an institution of temporalness. No, no. You go and you raise up truth, and you will be devoured by the religious. They went to deconstruct. That's the new term in our generation, to deconstruct Christianity. Yeah. And people are going along with it. I don't know how many people I told this story to, but I'm watching this video the other day. At first I turned it off because I thought, oh God. But I said, oh no, I got to see this. This pastor gets up to his congregation Patting himself and the congregation on the back for how liberal they are and how inclusive that they are and that from the pulpit from here on we're going to be inclusive and we're going to see God through the lenses of how we want to see him and then they begin to sing this song you're a good good mother it's who you are they took the image of God and they made him into what they want him to be. And these people were worshipping to this, this demonic song that they changed the words to, to make it demonic. And I said, oh God, what an act of your mercy. Because God, you did not allow that building to collapse on them. God, you did not open up that ground and swallow them up. 
I told you about the drag shows that are going on in church to reach the youth. Drag them to church. It's the most craziest thing. When you see Christians fighting for the right for abortions, when you see them fighting for the right for, for LGBTQ, when you see them fighting for all of this stuff that is so anti-God, when you see the level of, of CRT and wokeness and the white culture and all this other crazy stuff that's running amok in the church, it's taken root. And as I said last week, do you know why there's so many weak-willed men in the pulpit and pastor positions today? Because the congregation is weak-willed. Where are the people standing up saying, no, no, and when they do stand up, they're thrown out. You know, we watched that Enemies Within, the church down in Naples. Those people stood up and said, no, we are not embracing, we're not embracing CRT and wokeism. No, we're not voting for a black pastor just because you're putting him in the running for it, for him to do your will. Oh no, we're standing up. And these people who were long-term people in the congregation were removed. And they're labeled as racist. <laughs> Listen, you all, it's crazy. So when we look at Solomon's life, it's no different than anyone else who holds a form of religion and denies the power of God. Now, King Solomon loved, same word, as we saw a few chapters back, Many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God, as his father David had been. Solomon worshipped Estorah, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. In this way, Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight, he refused to follow the Lord completely as his father David had done. On the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, he even built a pagan shrine for Shumash, the detestable god of Moab, and another for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. Solomon built such shrines for all his foreign wives to use for burning incense and sacrificing to their gods. The Lord was very angry with Solomon, for his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. He had warned Solomon specifically about worshiping other, other gods, but Solomon did not listen to the Lord's commands. So now the Lord said to him, Since you have not kept my covenant and have disobeyed my decrees, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you, or from you and give it to one of your servants. But for, your, for the sake of your father, oh wow, 
Talking about mercy here. Look at this. David, I will not do this while you are still alive. I will take the kingdom away from your son. And even so, I will not take away the entire kingdom. I will let, be, I will let him be king over one of one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, my chosen city. Think about that, just that alone. And how Jerusalem is in play today. And then think about the promise of the Messiah that he had to come through the lineage of David. Amen. So be it. It's firmly established. God's not changing. (laughs) Then the Lord raised up Hadad, the Edmonite, a member of Edom's royal family, to be Solomon's adversary. Years before David had defeated Edom, Joab, his army commander, had stayed to bury some of the Israelite soldiers who had died in battle. While there, they killed every male in Edom. Joab and the army of Israel had stayed there for six months killing them. But Hadad and a few of his father's royal officials escaped and headed for Egypt. Hadad was just a boy at that time. They set out for the Midian, um, set out from Midian and went to Paran, where others joined them. Then they traveled to Egypt and went to Pharaoh, who gave them a home, food, and some land. Pharaoh grew very fond of Hadad and gave him his wife's sister in marriage, the sister of Queen Tafinis. She bore him a son named Ginnabah. Tafinis raised him in Pharaoh's palace among Pharaoh's own sons. When the news reached Hadad in Egypt that David and his commander Joab were both dead, he said to Pharaoh, Let me return to my own country. Why, Pharaoh asked him, what do you lack here that makes you want to go home? Nothing, he replied, but even so, please let me return home. God also raised up Rezon, son of Elida, as Solomon's adversary. Rezon had fled from his master, King Hadazir of Zoab, and had become the leader of a gang of rebels. After David's conquer of Hadazir, Rezon and his men fled to Damascus, where he had become king. Rezon was Israel's bitter adversary for the rest of Solomon's reign, and he made trouble, just as Hadad did. Rezon hated Israel intensely and continued to reign in Aram. Another rebel leader was Jeroboam, son of Nabal, one of Solomon's own officials. He came from the town of Zerada in Ephraim, and his mother was Zerul, a widow. This is a story behind his rebellion. Solomon was rebuilding the supporting terraces and repairing the walls of the city of his father David. Jeroboam was a very young man, capable young man. And when Solomon saw how industrious he was, he put him in charge of the labor force from the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, that the, the descendants of Joseph. One day, as Jeroboam was leaving Jerusalem, the prophet, I, I, oh my goodness, Ahijah, oh my goodness, no, Ahijah from Shiloh met him along the way. Ahijah was wearing a new cloak. The two of them wore, I'm sorry, the two of them were alone in a field, and Ahijah took hold of the new cloak he was wearing and tore it into twelve places or pieces. Then he said to Jeroboam, Take ten of these pieces, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says I'm about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon. And I will give you ten of the tribes, but I will leave him one tribe for the sake of my servant 
David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. For Solomon has abandoned me and worship Astora, Astereth, the god of the goddess of Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of Moab, and Molech, the god of the Ammonites. He has not followed my ways and done what is pleasing in my sight. He has not obeyed my decrees and regulations as David his father did. But I will not take the entire kingdom from Solomon at this time for the sake of my servant David, the one whom I chose and who obeyed my commandments and decrees. I will keep Solomon as a leader for the rest of his life, but I will take the kingdom away from his son and give them, I'm sorry, give ten kingdoms away from his son and give ten of the tribes to you. His son will have one tribe so that the descendants of David, my servant, will continue to reign, shining like a lamp in Jerusalem, the city I have chosen to be the place for my name. And I will place you on the throne of Israel and you will rule over all that your hearts desire. If you listen to what I tell you and follow my ways and do whatever I consider to be right, And if you obey my decrees and commands as my servant David did, then I will always be with you. I will establish an enduring dynasty for you as I did for David and will give Israel to you. Because of Solomon's sin, I will punish the descendants of David, though not forever. Solomon tried to kill Jeroboam, but he fled to King Shishka of Egypt and stayed there until Solomon died. And just so you know, that guy, (laughs) Jeroboam, ended up turning from the Lord too. So what God had promised him never came to pass. So the rest of the events of Solomon's reign, including all of his deeds and his wisdom, are recorded in the book of the Acts of Solomon. Solomon ruled in Jerusalem over, over all Israel for 40 years. When he died, he was buried in the city of David, named for his father, then his son Rehoboam became the next king. And I'm going to go to verse 19 of 12. Rehoboam went to Shechem, where all of Israel had gathered to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Naboth, Nabat, heard of this, he returned to Egypt, for he had fled to Egypt to escape from King Solomon. The leaders of Israel summoned him, and Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel went to speak went with Rehoboam. Your father was a hard master, they they said. Lighten the harsh labor demands and the heavy taxes that your father imposed on us. Then we will be your loyal subjects. But Rehoboam replied, Give me three days to think this over. Then come back for my answer. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam discussed the matter with the older men who had counseled his father, Solomon. What is your advice, he asked. How should I answer these people? And the older counselors replied, If you are willing to be a servant to these people today and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your loyal subjects. But Rehoboam rejected the advice of the older man and instead asked the opinion of the young men who had grown up with him and were now his advisors. What is your advice, he asked them. How should I answer these people who want me to lighten the burdens imposed by my father? And the young men replied, this is what you should tell these conquerors. I mean, I'm sorry, these complainers who want a lighter burden. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. Yes, my father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make them even heavier. My father beat you with whips, but I will beat you with scorpions. 
Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to hear Rehoboam's decision, just as the king had ordered. But Rehoboam spoke harshly to the people, for he rejected the advice of the older counselors and followed the counsel of his younger advisors. He told the people, My father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make them even heavier. My father beat you with whips, but I will beat you with scorpions. So the king paid no attention to the people. This turn, this turn of events was the will of the Lord, for it fulfilled the Lord's message to Jeroboam, a son of Nebat, through the prophet Ahijah from Shiloh. When all of Israel realized that the king had refused to listen to them, they responded, Down with the dynasty of David! We have no interest in the son of Jesse. Back to, our, back to your homes, O Israel! Look out for your own house, O David! So the people of Israel returned home. But Rehoboam continued to rule over the Israelites who lived in the towns of Judah. King Rehoboam sent Adoronim, who was in charge of the labor force, to restore order, but the people of Israel stoned him to death. When this news reached King Rehoboam, he quickly jumped in his chariot and fled to Jerusalem. And to this day, the northern tribes of Israel have refused to be ruled by a descendant of David. I know it's a lot, but there's a lot going on. All because of disobedience. And this is what happens in our own life. Disobedience, the results of disobedience, it's chaos. It's confusion. It's rebellion. And then Rehoboam had an opportunity, but he didn't want to listen to the wise elders, people who've had some years tucked underneath their belt. No, he wanted to listen to his friends. They're my advisors now. Tell me what I should do. And these guys had no wisdom. But he followed it. And in return, it turned on him. Who are you listening to? Who are you seeking counsel from? Ultimately, the greatest counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom you've been given. That God will speak and direct your steps. But are you obeying? See, disobedience will never produce anything fruitful in your life. Go to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, verse 1 through 25. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for the cooperation and the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. I love that. That used to be the name for the church, the way. <laughs> As he was approaching Damascus on his mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down on him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, and the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men, the men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself off the ground, 
But when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his, com- so his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to straight, wait, go over to straight street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He has been praying to me right. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so that he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to believers in Jerusalem, and he is authorized by a leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized, after he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for for a few days, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Nope, I went too far. So we'll just stop there. So after this, he ate and regained some sight. I just wanted to go. Nope, no, never mind. I'm not even reading my notes right. We're going to verse 25. So immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proof that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. They were watching for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. And that's where we're ending there for in the book of Acts today. And here we see Saul's life transformed. A murderer. A man who was out to set out to destroy the church. is now preaching the good news of the gospel. Doesn't matter who you were, where you've been, what you've done. When God calls you, He transforms your life. And in that transform transformation, your life is forever changed. And you should do like Paul did. He began to preach. He began to testify. He began to share what Christ has done in his life and who Christ is. And so listen, y'all, there's so much encouragement just in this portion of Scripture. And God, did you see how God spoke to Ananias? He told Ananias, this is the purpose for Saul. God knows what he's purposed for you. 
what he has called for you to do. And I also love that we see Ananias' obedience. Because God specifically told Saul that Ananias, a man named Ananias, was coming. You see, God was in all the details. Lest you think God is just floating around doing nothing. He's in all the details. He's just in all the details. And I love the fact that Ananias, yet though questioned, obeyed. Obeyed. Let's go to Psalm 131. There's only three verses there. We're wrapping up today. Psalm 131. Such a short psalm, but such a powerful psalm to remind us to keep looking up. Psalm 131. Psalm of David. Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I don't concern myself with matters too great or too awesome for me to grasp. Instead, I love this, I have calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child who no longer cries, who no longer cries for its mother's milk. Yes, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord now and always. Do you have peace today, you all? You ought to. You ought not to be concerned by all, everything and anything. You ought not to live a proud and haughty life. You ought not to be searching for your desires to be fulfilled. No, you ought to be humbled before your God. And in so doing, I love what he says here. Instead, I have calm and quieted myself. How did he do that? By the truths in which he knew. And he was able to say, Amen. So be it. Proverbs 17. Two nuggets of wisdom. And then I'll close this with the song of worship. Proverbs 17, verse 4 and 5. Wrongdoers eagerly listen to gossip. Liars pay close attention to slander. Those who mock the poor insult their maker. Those who rejoice at the misfortune of others will be punished. Let's worship, and then I'll close this in prayer.
Impossible is happening.